0: Morning church, would you stand as we worship this morning? The God of yesterday, today, forever.
1: Hey, would you check in on your socials, let people know where you are, as we worship the Lord this morning. Remember those woes we call sin and shame. They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. Die, and he rose those walls are rubble now remember those giants we caught death and grave they were like mountains that stood in our way but he came and he died and he rose those giants are dead
2: You know, we're in a month of missions, we've been emphasizing our mission trip to Mexico, our new trip to Eswatini, and today we're going to talk about the trip we do annually to Romania. Um, We go with an organization called the Heart of Hope to a place called the Camp of the Good Shepherd, which we'll tell you more about those in a minute, but let me introduce who's with me today. This is Anna Marie McLean and Josh McLean. Uh, They've both been going for many years. Uh, Anna Marie, uh, tell us about your experience with the camp in Romania.
3: So I started going to Romania in 2013, and at that time I was still in Romania. Um, And then I met Josh in 2016, and then I came to the States in 2017. And we've been there every year, except, you know, COVID, and one year we had to skip because of my paperwork, so yeah.
2: And then Josh, how long have you been going? I've been going since 2007. Yeah, Josh is our veteran here at the church. He's been going many, many years. Uh, he met Anna Marie there, the dirty dog. He married her and brought her back here to America. <laughs> Anyways, um, they know a lot, of, a lot about this camp. Tell us, um, Anna Marie. Tell us what the Heart of Hope is and what the Camp of Good Shepherd does.
3: So, Heart of Hope is an organization. They um Every year they go, um, during summertime, they they send a team from different states um, to Camp of the Good Shepherd, and um, for each week there's a different um, placement center that goes, and we we actually, I forgot to mention, we work with kids from orphanages, and um, every week we go, we do crafts with them, we tell them about God's love, and show them how much God loves them, uh, because the whole year they just, you know, in the placement center, and then they only have one week for us to spend time with them and, you know, show them they God loves them too. All
2: right, Josh, if someone from Camp CC goes on this mission trip to Romania, what will they be doing while they're there?
4: Uh, We do a lot of things. Uh, We're the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, We will sing worship to them, uh, have them join us. We'll feed them dinner, lunch, breakfast, uh, sports, uh, crafts, um, and there's a lot of time to really just be, be with them. They'll hang all over you. They, they don't get that affection.
2: Good. Um, we, we do times of worship. We'll do messages. We share the gospel. Now, so just to clarify, we're taking kids from orphanages and poor villages, and we're bringing them for a week of summer camp. Now many of you probably went to summer camp when you were teenagers, and you remember how meaningful those times were for you. You can multiply that times 100 for these kids because they're institutionalized in an orphanage, and they get to leave their institution and come just be a regular free kid and enjoy summer camp where they experience the love of God maybe for the first time. So when you are giving to our Community Impact Initiative this month, part of that money is gonna go to support Romania is to to be able to send our team there. You know, it's the travel costs, the feeding them while they're there. But uh, more than that, there's a thing called sponsorships. Josh, tell us what sponsorships are.
4: So the sponsorships, none of the kids pay anything. Uh, They don't have to worry about it. We try and raise a sponsorship, and I believe it's $75 per child, which is amazing when you're trying to, for a whole week, $75. And we're trying to
2: raise 100 sponsorships to be able to send all these kids to camp. Right. So. Uh, we raise the money to pay for the cost of the kids going to these camps. So that's part of what we're, we're raising this money for. So uh, later today, I'll tell you how you can give if you want to give to Community Impact and help support uh, what we're doing in Romania. All right, let's stand and continue in worship.
1: of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ.
5: next song has a line that says you turn the grave into a new beginning and I wanted to focus on that this Sunday morning that Satan thought he won when Jesus went to the grave but what did Jesus do he conquered it and he made it our new beginning and I just want to focus and and just uh, welcome you guys into the, the presence of the Lord and see your new beginning with him
6: Good morning. Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. I know what you're wondering. What happens if this table doesn't come out? Um, I haven't memorized all of it. No, just kidding. We need this table. Uh, Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. We're so glad that you're here with us today. My name is David Hurtado, in case you're new to us and I'm new to you. Welcome. I do this thing where I hang out afterwards. I'll be in the patio. If you're new to our church, let's say the last three to six months, I would love to put a face with a name get to meet you, hear your story about how you uh, heard about us and how you got here, please don't be afraid to do that. I am not one ounce introverted, so I like talking to people. It'd be great to talk to you. So please come. If you're introverted, it's okay. Take a couple weeks, but come see me on the patio. And, uh, and let's have a conversation together. I'd love to be able to do that. If you're online, welcome. If you're watching in the middle of the week because you wanted to stay connected, welcome. If you're out on the patio in the video venue, welcome to all of you. We're so excited that you're with us. The Hurtado family took a week off last week. We were supposed to go camping. We got rained out, so we found a timeshare that we could trade into in Nevada. Went there, had a blast, went to an escape room. We got out with 11 minutes to spare. Can your family say that? and uh, actually, it's the first time we've ever got out, I think, (laughs) and so we're pretty proud of ourselves, and so, but it's a great thing to do with your family, especially when they get a little older, and they can handle little details like that. It was a blast. Uh, Had a good time. Watched Madam Web, Girl Power, absolutely, and uh, had a good time, so we're glad to be back together. I I want you to do this, if you could, for me, if you could circle back in your mind to a time uh, in your mind's eye where you have felt wronged. Like a time in your life where you just legitimately felt like that was just wrong, that was absolutely wrong. Maybe you were conned, it was just a situation that was just so wrong. The belittling feeling of feeling I remember being about 14, 15 years old. Got my first job in my life. It was at Rancho Meat Market. We called it Rancho Meat Market. It was just called Rancho Market, but there was like a, a meat stand inside there or like a, 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 a meat counter out there, and that's where we worked. So we called it the, the Meat Market. My brother and I worked there together, and, and uh, you know, I would be in charge of taking the, the pork chops and slicing them up with the machine. That was pretty fun. Or taking the grinder and taking all these meats and putting them together and making ground beef, you know, kind of leftover meats, from ground beef and that was kind of fun to do that. And, and then make sandwiches for everyone who comes in, you know, and I remember this one time, this one gentleman came in, seemed like a really cool guy, really jovial, very kind, very talkative, extroverted, very disalarming, I would say, uh, humorous, fun. We talked about football while I made his hot link sandwich, I remember. I remember he was wearing a, a Giants, uh, a New York Giants uh, shirt, and so he was a fan. I was a 49er fan, so we are having this great conversation. I, I finished his... His sandwich, wrap it all up, and you know, take payment. And and, and I thought we we're done, but he said, "Actually, hold on, hold on a second. I I uh, I, I I have so many of these ones." Uh, and he started, "Man, I have so many of these ones in my in my wallet. I wonder if I could make some change. Maybe maybe I could give you like 10 ones, and you could give me a ten dollar bill." I thought to myself, "Well, he's yeah, a super nice guy, and we could always use one. So sure, absolutely." And so he starts going one two. He starts counting and he starts tapping the counter like one two as if to say, hey, put your $10 down on the counter and, and I'll count out the ones. And so I, I had the $10 bill and, and I put it on the counter and he, he just counted out. I said, here you go. And I, and I grabbed it and he took the $10 bill. And, and as I counted it out, I realized it wasn't $10. It was nine. It was $9. And so I said to him, hey, hey, you only gave me nine. He goes, oh, I can't believe I did that, man. I'm so sorry. Here, let me give you 11 and you give me 20. And so he gave me 11 and I handed him a $20 bill. If you haven't caught it yet, don't worry. It took me a week to catch it. He gave me back his own ten, my $10 bill that I gave him with a one more in his pocket. So he's out 10, he's given me 11, but my own $10 was with it. When I give him 20, I'm actually out $10. He's actually swindled me, he's conned me. I said, no problem, man, I didn't catch it at the time. He goes, man, I got so many of these ones, you wanna do it again? Like, sure, I guess, yeah. And so he, he, and he starts tapping the counter again. And, and, and I start thinking, you know what, I, I'm kind of, at this point, I'm a little bit hesitant to, to put the money in the counter. He counts it out and then gives me, and I give him the 10, and then I'll, I count it out again, and guess what? There's only $9. He goes, I do it again, man, I'm sorry. How about I give you 11 you give me 20? And I said, no, nah, I, I, this just too coincidental for me. Something in my little radar detector says, no, no, no. I don't think I want to do it. Oh, you don't want to do it anymore? No problem. Gave me the ones back and gave him the 10. Or I'm sorry, I took the 10, gave him the ones back and he went on his way. It wasn't until about the next week when my uh, manager called me in and said, hey, you're $10 short last week on whatever day of the week it was. I go, well, there's this one weird interaction with this guy and I can't figure it out but, but he asked for change and I said, yeah, he swindled you, he conned you. Um, wish you would have told us about it, we could have known. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it was wrong. Something was wrong until t- seven days later. Have you ever felt wronged? You ever felt belittled to the point, like when you're con, like you know they went out of their way to get you, like like that belittling feeling, you ever felt that way? If you have, if you understand those feelings, if you understand those questions, I think this will be a great message for you today, or a very helpful message for you today, where we'll take a look at how God might have us respond in those belittling situations where you've just been flat out wronged. What does God think about getting people back in those situations and and how does he evaluate our choices? What does God think about the impulse-driven retribution that might come over our hearts in those situations And, and does he evaluate outcomes over processes? Why shouldn't I take revenge when the door is open for it? And how does our motivation affect that notion? For that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 26. I invite you to open your Bibles right now. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 26. If you're new to our church, this is our rhythm. We pick a book and we teach through it. We skip no lines, no words, no paragraphs. We just go through, and we're on chapter 26, which means we've been there for a while. But we are are, uh, seeing the landing strip to the end of this series. Coming up shortly. Chapter 26 of 1 Samuel, we're gonna do the whole entire chapter, looking at verses 1 through 25 today. It just made sense to keep it all together on this section. The overarching question is, what is unique about how God gauges our responses to being wronged? What is unique about how God gauges our responses to being wronged? we're looking at verses 1 through 25 in 1 Samuel chapter 26. The first thing we're going to see is he doesn't value us taking the easy way out. Even when you're wronged, God doesn't value you taking the easy way out. And sometimes revenge is the easy way out. I'm going to get back at you. That's the easy way out. There's a harder way to take the humble road it's harder. He doesn't value us taking the easy. And what is unique about how God gauges our responses to being wrong? Well, he doesn't value taking the easy way out. We're going to see this, in verses 1 through 12 together. Why don't you watch as I read. It says this. And the Ziphites came to Saul in Gebeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself in the hill of Achela, which is on the east of Jessamun?" So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, and with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Achilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jessamon, but David remained in the wilderness. And when he saw that Saul came after him in the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. And then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped, and David saw the place where Saul lay, with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was laying within, within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. And David said to Abimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abisha, Abishai, Abishai, something like that, and the son of Zeruiah, who, who will go down with me to the, to the camp to Saul. And Abishai said, I will go down with you. And so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner uh, Abner and the army laid around him, and Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day, now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, his spear that is, and I will not need to strike him twice, But David said to Bisha, I wish you would highlight this, underline this, underscore this. Do not destroy him, for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? No one is the obvious answer. And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, uh, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should put a hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. And so David took the spear and the jar of water at at Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it. Why? Uh, Nor did they wake, why? For the Lord, for they were asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. We'll stop there. What is unique about how God gauges our responses to being wrong? Well, the first thing is he doesn't value us taking the easy way out. The easy way out is, hey, Saul's right there. He's been problematic for you. He's hunting you down even though you're not going after him. God has laid him in your hands, fully asleep. You can take his own spirit, thrust in his head, and he'd be gone. But God does not value taking the easy way out. Interestingly enough, David goes on the offense, and you might find some parallels in this passage to chapter 24. There was another situation where David had... Uh, uh, Saul in the crosshairs, so to speak. That time, uh, uh, Saul was in the quote-unquote relieving cave, and so was David and the 600 men. He takes a, a clip of his corner of his robe and says, look, I could have killed you. Then he feels guilty and repents over that. I shouldn't have even cut a corner of his robe off. Here, this situation is a little different in that that was a chance meeting. This is David going actively pursuing Saul. I'm going to take it a step further now. I'm not going to sit and hide. I'm going to go actually go and investigate for myself. Takes the offensive and finds Saul in a vulnerable position. The Ziphites sell David out to Saul again. They did that before. And Saul sends 3,000 soldiers to hunt down David again. We've seen that before in chapter 23. Maybe the Ziphites were jealous because David married one of their richest women. We saw that last week in Abigail. Whatever the situation is, they decide to turn him in again. We find in this passage that Saul goes back on his repentance. You might remember it was a deep, emotional, seemed sincere repentance in chapter 24, but it didn't take very long for it to subside and him to go after David again. He sends five to one in ratio, ratio in battle companies. David has 600 troops. Saul sends 3,000 of Israel's finest men to take David out. David responds by hiding out. That's what he's been doing. In the desert, Jessamon, you might remember, means wasteland or desert. Sent out spies so that he could know where Saul was while still hiding, and Saul didn't know exactly where David was. David uh, uh, finds Saul in the camp and decides to approach the camp with one of his associates the last time, you remember, it was a coincidence, only This time, he's seeking him out and probably doing this in accordance to his own boldness. Before last time, Saul, uh, God just put you in the crosshairs. This time, I'm seeking you out. I'm being bolder in how I'm approaching you. They find Saul in a very compromising position. He's at the center of the camp. You can imagine all the troops surrounding him. He's at the very center, all the troops around him, all the wagons around him. Everything surrounds him like a perimeter, and yet David's able to walk to the very center and see Saul laying down and sleeping. David did not see this scenario, however, as a green light from God to take him out, take Saul out, that is. Even as an associate says, please, just give me a chance, please, please. Uh, I can take his spear, thrust it into his head, and by the way, I won't even need two tries. I won't miss the first time, is the idea. I will take him out with his own spear. The spear, by the way, that in chapter 18 and chapter 19 was used to thrust at David against the wall, if you remember. The same spear that was used to try to kill David can now be used to kill Saul. you talk about like poetic justice. The irony of what's available to David and his fingertips. Plausible deniability, I didn't kill him. My associate killed him. Everything's set up for him to take Saul out, but David refuses, and he gives three reasons why, and they all come back to God. First reason, the Lord will strike him down, maybe with a fatal disease like we saw on Nabal last week. God can do that. He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. He can take him out if he wants to. The second reason is uh, his day shall come to die. Maybe he dies a natural death. That'll be uh, according to God, God is the author and giver of life and death. Maybe he'll go down into battle and die himself in that way, and, and he'll die in the line of fire, but that would be a God thing as well. God will decide when that happens. Whether it's a disease that takes him out, God decides to take him out early. Whether he dies a natural death and, he, and God just takes him out in the time that he's decided before eternity to take him out. Or whether he dies in battle in the line of fire. God will be the one who take him out and not me. I won't do it. I won't lift a finger, I won't lift a hand against the Lord's anointing. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. So we're not gonna kill him. It's like a plus minus relationship. Not this, but this. What we will do is we'll take the sword, or we'll take the spear, and we'll take the jar of water that's standing at his head symbolically grabs a jar of water, symbolically grabs a spear, full of rich in symbolism, the, the jar of water will represent that which is life-giving. The spear represents that which is, can take away life or, or very symbolic of the authority of the king. By the way, the spear is referred to six times in our text today. It seems to be very, very emphatically written by the author. It's very important. I had an opportunity to take you out. Your very life, the water, was in my hands. Your authority and the spear representing your death was right there accessible to me, and yet I didn't do it. How was this all possible? Well, it was all possible because the Lord is the source of the sound sleep that allowed David and his associate to get so close to Saul in the first place. God is the one who put him, you better believe that they were on night watch. (laughs) There were night watch parties. We're here to protect the king. You better believe there was uh, a whole system set up, but when God puts a deep sleep on your encampment, nobody's getting up. It's better than melatonin. It's be, it's, it has a higher efficacy than, than, than Ambien. You're out. God has made sure that David can get to the very head of Saul without him knowing. Well, God doesn't think it's a good idea for us to take the easy way out. He doesn't even evaluate things the same way we evaluate things. What is unique about how God gauges our responses while being wronged? Well, number one is he doesn't value us taking the easy way out. Number two is he doesn't only evaluate our actions. You gotta understand something about God. He's not just evaluating your actions. He's evaluating more than your actions. You might write down if you're taking notes. He evaluates your actions and motivations. You might have done the right thing with the wrong attitude and it's still wrong. You might have done the wrong thing with the right attitude and that might actually be favorable to God's eyes. It's a little different because of what's going on internally. What is unique about God and how he gauges our responses to being wrong? Well, he doesn't only evaluate our actions, he evaluates more than that. I want you to see this starting in verse 13. It says this, then David went over to the other side and stood far off on top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called out to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, will you, answer, will you not answer, Abner? And, answer, and Abner answered, who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, are you not a man? Which is pretty hilarious, I think. He called out his manhood. Who, who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over the Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your, the king, your lord, And this thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you shall surely die because you have not kept watch over the Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head. And Saul recognized the voice of David and he he, he said, is it your voice, my son David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. He used to call him my father. He has stopped calling him that. And he said... Why does the Lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? What evil is in my hands? Now therefore, let the Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred up against me, meaning Yahweh, may accept an offering, but if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven out this day that I should have no share of the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go and serve other gods. It's gonna be important. I would like you to highlight that if you have a highlighter with you. Now therefore, let not my blood fall far from the earth, fall to the earth, away from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come to seek out a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return my son David, for I will no more do you harm. We've heard that before. Because my life was precious in your eyes this day, before behold, I've acted foolishly.'d love for you to highlight that, underline that circle that. And I've made a big mistake, and David answered and said, "Here is the spear, O king. Let one of your young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man and his rights for his righteousness and for his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed." Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may it be that my life would be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may deliver me out of all my tribulations. Then Saul said to David, Blessed are you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. And so David went his way and Saul returned to his place. What is unique about how God gauges our responses to being wronged? Well, it doesn't evaluate doesn't only evaluate our actions, he actually evaluates our actions and motivations, and both can be wrong apart from each other. David chastises Abner, which by the way, is Saul's cousin. He's on security detail. Uh, Imagine him uh, uh, being the secret service to the king. Uh, Protecting the king is his only job. Abner uh, was charged with being the head of security, so to speak. The first thing that David does is call out his man, which I just think is hilarious. When you read the Bible, you've got to read some comedy in it. Aren't you a man? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Where were you when I was standing over the king? Uh, Abner can say nothing, and he says nothing. <laughs> he's like, Well, I don't know. You got a spear, you got his water. I, that was my job. If I could get that close to the king to grab his spear and his water jug, then you suck at your job, is what he's saying. It's a dereliction of duty. Quickly, the the narrative moves from this verbal assault on Abner to a verbal assault on Saul. He now confronts Saul and says, you know, let me plead my case before you. Let me provide some ideas of how we can resolve this conflict. He starts off very strategically. If the issue's in me and maybe God has has allowed this because it's something I've done, then let me sacrifice a sacrifice of repentance before God where a sweet-smelling aroma can go up to God and he can forgive me for my wrongdoing. Now there's no way that David's a problem here, but he is leaving the door open, maybe it's me. What a great strategy. And if it is, I wanna repent before God and repair this. But if it isn't me, and it's some other man, then let him be accursed before the Lord. Let him be cursed before God, why? because the king of Israel is running after a flea. Get the idea in your head of like a a nagging fly. What can it actually do to you? Just a nuisance. But the the king and his army, 3,000, are out to hunt a flea in relationship to the kingdom of Israel. He likens himself to either a flea or a partridge in the eyes of of the king of Israel. Uh, A partridge was a bird that you would uh, climb a mountain to go and hunt. And it was a type of bird that was so fast you would never catch it. You could never catch it when it flew, you could never catch it when it when it ran. But if you could tire that thing out, you could club it on the head when it could no longer run, it could no longer fly. And so what you would do is you would go and shake the bushes and let that thing fly around. And then watch where it lands and shake the bushes again and let it run around and watch where it lands. And shake the bushes until that thing is so tired it can't run anymore, plop, boom. He goes, you're running around trying to tire me out when really I'm like a flea of annoyance in comparison to your kingdom. Twice I've had you in the crosshairs. Twice I haven't taken you out. And you're squandering the precious national resources on a flea. How does this make sense? David is being very strategic here. Maybe it's me, but if it's not, then, then, then maybe it's other men who've gotten to your ear, Saul. And, and if it has been other men who have gotten to your ear and you're listening to the wrong voices, let them be cursed. Because what has happened, they're souring you to the truth. And the truth is, God is not going to look kindly on this situation, Saul. I'm having to run to foreign lands at this point. I got nowhere else to go. Here's the thing. When he talks about the inheritance of Israel, the fact that, that Israel has their own land, has their own king, the whole job of the king was to preserve the right of the people to be able to worship their God. So if I'm having to run to another land where there's the one true God isn't present, you're actually forcing me to worship false gods. I won't be able to worship God. You think God's gonna look kindly on that, Saul? That you haven't allowed a Hebrew to worship God, who wants to worship God? Do you think he's gonna be okay with that? Your whole job is to protect the right to worship God. That's the inheritance of all the people of Israel. And your job is to ensure it. And yet I've been relegated to another land which was akin in that time to being forced to leave your faith. God's not gonna look kindly on that Saul. He's not going to look kindly on that. Well, something about this situation does strike something inside of Saul. There are different takeaways, however, between Saul and David. Um, Saul promises to never harm David again. We've heard that before. It's a promise that he's made in the past, chapter 24, and not kept, chapter 26. But it's a promise that he would end up keeping this time. This is the last engagement. In fact, in chapter 27, uh, Saul's going to be here of where David's at. and He's going to refuse to go attack David. So this is the last of it. The irony in this, and I had you circle it in verse 21, I have acted foolishly and made a great mistake. Do you remember Nabal last week? Do you remember what his name meant? The fool. And he is the alter ego of Saul. Here I have acted foolishly. I made a mistake. Just come back, be a part of the kingdom. And Dave's like, no, 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 no. I think I'll, 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 uh, um, oh, what's that again? Liar's dice. I call lying. <laughs> I call liars, you know, type of thing. No, I think I'll just trust in the Lord is what he says in verse 24. Behold, as your life has been precious this day in my sight, so may my life be present inside the Lord. And may he deliver me out of my tribulations. I'll trust God more than I trust you, Saul. I'm not going back to your house to serve you. Which brings me to the big idea. Then we'll try to apply it together. Sometimes God calls us to wait on him rather than fight for our rights. Sometimes God calls us to wait on him rather than fight for our rights. There are gonna be times in your life where God calls you to wait on him and not fight for your rights. And it's so counterintuitive to what we believe as Western-minded individuals, as, as people who live in America, we fight for our rights. Fight for your right to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's like a notion, right? It's like a it's like, we believe in that. And yet sometimes God calls us to wait on him rather than to fight for our rights. Now, I want to be very careful here, and I've been very specific in my wording. Sometimes, sometimes, not all fights are bad fights. Some things are truly worth fighting for. But what if God called you to stand down? What if he desires in a certain situation you would humble yourself and take the road less traveled? Would you do it? Could you do it? sometimes God calls us to wait on him rather than to fight for our rights. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, there was a lady in a former church that I served at in the San Francisco Bay area, uh, unbelievable lady. It's so brilliant, so intelligent, African American, humble, godly, all of it, full package. She would say my mama taught me to carry the Bible in one hand and a math book in the other hand. And that's what I live my life by she graduated graduate from the UC system, high honors, Cal Berkeley, scholarship the entire way through. She was a pioneer of sorts, first black female cheerleader the school ever had on the cheerleading squad. Prominent, a prominent Fortune 500 company was, was doing some canvassing of the canvas. There's a big area there where you could, you know, try to seek out the next professionals of the next generation. They hired her right off the lawn of Cal Berkeley black, female, Fortune 500 company, pioneer, pioneer. They put on the fast track to management where she stayed for 20 to 30 years in some, some place in the company all across the country. She tells a story that she was climbing up the corporate ladder rather quickly, faster than all the other fast track managers, and she ended up under this gentleman who told her that while he understood that she's on the fast track to management, her road to success dead-ended with him. As a white man, I asked her, this wasn't because of your skin color, was it? You don't think it's because of your gender, was it? She believed it was. I remember thinking to myself, really, in California today? Like, that still happens? I thought we were done with all that. I asked her, what'd you do? She said, oh, honey, I started praying. My God's a lot bigger than that. I wasn't worried about that. I remember uh, I was often in her home. Her son was in my youth ministry, one of the prominent leaders in my youth ministry. And so um, for that reason, and her husband was one of my better friends. Uh, and so I was in her home one day, and she said, David, I want you to see, Pastor, I want you to see my prayer closet. And I walked up into her room, and she had, uh, you know, a couple, it was a big house. Uh, she's a corporate executive, you know, uh, she, you know, she she had one of her uh, walk-in closets devoted to prayer. Uh, it's smaller the two closets, but it opened up and it and and it had pillows on the ground and it and it had. Have you ever seen the movie uh, The War Room? It's like a Christian movie, and it's about this black lady who has this who has this uh, uh, one of the features of the movie. She had this prayer room. It's exactly like that, except for I witnessed this like before that movie came out. Pictures on the walls. Paragraphs, a prayer request, people's names, missionaries. uh, um, Prayer requests that were daisy chained together with like little pins and and pieces of yarn. This one goes to this one. Pillow on the ground so she could kneel. This is my prayer room, Pastor. I want you to see it. Just filled up the walls. There was a, was a, a clothing rod there, but there wasn't any clothes. There wasn't any hangers on it. Just fully devoted to prayer. She was the type of woman that would pray And God would answer. You know what I'm talking about? Like when she prayed, God answered. Results, two years later, she would become the man's boss. Never fired the guy in retaliation, by the way. Worked her way up to one of four vice president positions of California. Moved up to the president of the North Carolina division of the same company, Today she is the CEO of a prominent NBA team that hired her to clean up the organization after had some scandalous affairs and reputation. She also beat stage 4 colon cancer. Nobody beats stage 4 colon cancer. She just got 10 years of remission. She's a conference speaker. I remember I was at a conference for pastors and they, you know, these conferences, they'll bring guys who will preach the word of God and try to exhort our souls. Nobody preaches to us, so they preach to us. Then they'll bring also these like, corporate executive leader types that come and help you lead better because most churches now, medium to large size, they're basically small organizations. She was on the keynote. I'm at this conference and I see her as the keynote speaker. I remember asking her, why didn't you fire that guy? Like That's the first thing I would have done. Like, you're out of here, dude. You don't don't represent the values of our company. See ya. And she said, oh no, honey, why would I do that? God won. God won. I didn't need to do that. Sometimes God calls us to wait on him rather than fight for our rights. Sometimes he will call you to wait on him rather than fighting for your rights. Now, I never do this, but because this is so complex, I have one more slide to give you that will give you kind of like um, a way to, to, to figure out, when do I fight and when do I wait? When do I stand down and when do I step up? Which, which is godly and which isn't? And, and I think if you'll, if you'll look at these four principles, it'll help you in this. N- number one, questions you ask yourself when deliberating whether to fight or stand down or wait. Number one, is there anything redemptive about the fight? Ask yourself that question. Is there anything redemptive about the fight? Is there anything redeemable in quality about the fight? I think of like the rights of the unborn. Is there anything re- redemptive about that fight? Yes, there is. It's something worth fighting for. We believe as Christians that every human being is made and created in the image of God. And so when we fight for the rights of the unborn, we're saying that life matters. That's redemptive. That's redeemable. That fight's worthy fighting that's why even when you're pregnant and they tell you oh your kid's gonna have down syndrome that's not a reason to terminate not in the christian perspective we believe that every individual was created in the image of god and so we stand for that fight we value life in that sense Then also hear this we know that like 25 percent of these things are from ladies who go to church and so we also meet you at grace and mercy and find healing that God can forgive you for such an activity. Sometimes our most prominent and best workers in that world are people who have gone to themselves. They have the grace and compassion and mercy to stand up for the right to life in a way that's not condemning. Is there anything redemptive about the fight? Ask yourself that question. Is this fight that I'm engaging? Is there anything redemptive about it? Number two, is there anything selfless or selfish about the fight? Anything selfless or selfish? Is this about me or is this about an issue that needs to come to the forefront? Because someone someone down the line would benefit if I stood up here, it's not just about me. Is there anything selfish or selfish, uh, selfless about the, the fight? Remember that in the same church, San Francisco, there was a rental dispute between a, a person who owned a home in our church and a person who rented the, the home in our same church. And they both seem to have good information and whatever, and how do you decipher? And finally, the idea of a civil suit came up. Really? You're gonna to go to court over a couple thousand dollars. Why not just be wronged, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse seven? Why wouldn't somebody just say, as believers, was well, just, you know what, I'll just be wronged. I don't wanna put the name of Christ and the reputation of Christ into a secular court setting just, there's nothing redemptive about that. There's a, there's, am I so caught up in the me-ology that I need that? Another one like it, is there anything God glorifying about this fight? Is it, is it to glorify me or is it to glorify God? Am I concerned about a bigger picture? Me or God? Jesus did have righteous anger, by the way, but it had nothing to do with himself. He went into the temple and he turned over the tables because of the way they were representing God and and, and the reputation that it had for God. That's why his anger was righteous, but it wasn't personal. It wasn't about him. It was about God. Last one. Is there any reluctance on your part to pray about it? Ask yourself that. Do I fight or do I stand down? Is there any reluctance to pray about it? Pastor, I'm getting divorced. Okay. There are reasons to get divorced. I mean, uh, there's even biblical reasons to get divorced. I I can't lie to you. Jesus said it himself, Matthew 5, Matthew 19. Unfortunately, most divorces today are devoid of any kind of, you know, um, affairs or sexual deviancy. But Jesus did say there there are reasons for divorce. And I'm a believer that just because you have grounds for divorce doesn't mean you have to get divorced. God can still look beautiful in a picture where you reconcile and you forgive. But there are situations that are just purely unreconcilable, I have to be honest with you. And after 25 years of ministry, I could tell you about them. Like the guy who has one wife in this state, and one wife in this state, and kids and kids, and it's just been playing them back and forth against each other on business trips. How does that one reconcile? Which wife does he choose, which kids? Pastor, I'm gonna get divorced, okay. Maybe you have reason to get divorced. Will you pray about it? No, I don't want to pray about it, Pastor. I don't want to get God in this situation. Does that not tell you something about your heart? If you're unwilling to pray about it, doesn't that say something about where your heart is at? And maybe you're not in a fight category. Maybe you're in a stand down and wait category. Is it redemptive? Is it selfish or selfless? Is it God glorifying or me glorifying? And will I pray about it? Am I willing to pray about it? Now, if you're like me, you're sitting here thinking, man, there's a lot of times that I've determined to fight where I should have stood down. Tell me about it. This week, I got in a discussion with my wife on vacation while I was preparing this message. I should have waited. I should have waited on God. should have stood down. But I decided to fight. We all struggle with it. So thankful that we have a God who gently reminds us the right way. Why don't you about here close your eyes with me. Sometime God calls us to wait on him rather than to fight for our rights. What rights are you yielding and wanting to fight for? And is it one of those situations where you should wait on him? You've been wronged, you've been conned. I know, I get it. The picture of God is to forgive and to wait. Let God be your lawyer. You don't have to be it for yourself. Father, I stand convicted on this very message and this very week, and so I'm not gonna pretend like I don't. I am thankful for the grace of God, the mercy of God that we receive in Jesus Christ. It's not that we are perfect individuals, but you clean us up and make us perfect in standing even when we're not practically there yet. You give us our righteousness, and that just causes us to worship you that much more. It's not about me having arrived, but it's about me trying to arrive. I pray that you'd have us all arrive, have us all be selfless, have us all wait on you and get the same victory that David got when he waited on you. We ask in Jesus' name,
2: amen. You know, um, if you're joining us for the first time today, maybe you're here today as a guest, someone invited you. If you're not a Christian, let me just say this. uh, we were born with a disease, every single one of us, and that's called sin. There's no way to get away from it. And then the bad news is uh, Romans 6.23 from the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. It causes eternal separation from God. If you don't deal with this sin disease, you're gonna die spiritually someday and be separated from God eternally in a place called hell. We believe in heaven and we believe in hell. It's a real place and our sin separates us from God. Um, The good news is that verse goes on, Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That anyone who calls out on the name of the Lord can be saved, Um, that if you, uh, he will forgive you, he'll grant you grace for your sins, for all of your sins, past sins, present sins, and future sins, and guarantee you this place with him in heaven for eternity. If you if you're, And we're here today, we gather as a church to worship the God because He's forgiven us and we have grace. Uh, and We come together to celebrate that on Sundays. And if you're here with us and you've not given your life to Christ, it's just a matter of calling out to Him, even in the silence of your heart and saying, uh, Lord, I need forgiveness, Jesus, I need you. And He will grant you that free gift of eternal life and forgiveness of your sins and you begin following Him. If you're here and that's where you're at spiritually, would you please let us know as you exit the building, there's a tent on the right-hand side. Go there and let the people know what God's doing in your heart, that you're ready to become a Christian and that you need God's forgiveness. They'll help answer any questions you have. We'll give you a Bible if you don't have one. Um, And if you're online, go to campcc.net, click on next steps, and we would uh, love to follow up with you as well. All right, we're going to move on to receiving our offering and worshiping the Lord through giving. There's three ways to participate. That, as you can see on the screen, um, if you this is the last week for the month of missions, if you want to give towards that, in the drop-down menu choose Community Impact. Your gifts will help send teams to Romania, Eswatini, Africa, uh, and Mexico. In Mexico, we're gonna be building a house and ministering to kids and sharing the gospel. In Eswatini, we're gonna be working with orphans and helping support the mission and discipleship, and teaching pastors how to disciple Um, in Eswatini. And in Romania, we're gonna be sharing the gospel with orphans as well. Uh, So your gifts will go towards those ministries. I also wanna add one more thing. I have a slide for our Mexico love feast. That's the first mission trip we're doing. The day after Easter, we're leaving. And there's a fundraiser on March 13th in the other building, 7 p.m. It's a dinner and auction. It's super fun if you've never been. So we just want to invite you to that as well. All right, let's check out this video. What's coming up next?
7: Hey, camcc I'm Megan Terryberry and I'm one of the worship leaders here at our church. If it's your first time here with us, we are so glad that you were here. Please go to the new CC tent outside to receive your $5 Starbucks gift card. If it's your second time, make sure you redeem your $10 in and out gift card at the tent as well. If you need a Bible, if you have questions about our church, if you decided to follow Jesus today, or if you need prayer, go to that tent so we can connect with you. Week of February 26th, Camarillo Community Church, Christian Child Care Center, Seven C's, registration for the 2024-25 school year will take place for the members of PMCC only. Seven seasons for children 18 months old to pre kindergarten with after school care for children kindergarten through fifth grade. For more info, email elaine at camcc.net. Friday, March 1st, 7 to 9 p.m., Fun Fest! Calling all middle schoolers. Check this out a mechanical bowl, carnival games, a dunk tank, giant slides, free food, and $300 worth of giveaways. Register online at camcc.net slash funfest. The cost is $10 per person. March 19th, worship night, 7 p.m. A time of prayer, scripture, and worship. You will not want to miss this powerful night. We will introduce some new songs and be playing some classics. Come expecting to encounter hope and transformation through Jesus. And bring your kids. First through pre-K, it's PJs and popcorn, so come in your pajamas. In K through five, it's inflatable fun night with inflatable obstacle courses, games, and popsicles. Grab some cards and start inviting your friends. For more info, contact Sam at camcc.net. Plus one. Plus one is our rally cry as a church for 2024 as we focus on one of our core values. In the lobby you will notice a board where you can write the first name of a person that you want to begin praying for opportunities to invite to church this upcoming year once you invite them place a check next to their name if they show up add a plus sign next to their name so we can celebrate as a church who will be your plus one the good friday experience march 29th, 6 to 7 pm and March 31st, Resurrecting Hope Easter Gatherings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. Can you believe that Easter's in March? Be praying over your neighborhood. This is a great time to invite your plus one. If you need prayer today, we will have our prayer team up in front willing to pray for you at the conclusion of our gathering. on at CAMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to CAMCC.net.
5: My name is Sam Stevenson. I'm the Kindergarten through Third Grade Director. Um, And just to be really honest, I had something very different prepared to say from the sermon until about two minutes ago. Um, Dave's last point that he made about reluctance to prayer, um, that was really humbling to me. I have not had a relationship with my dad since I was a young teenager. Um, and a lot a lot of years I spent um, really reluctant to pray for him and to pray for our relationship and just to pray for his salvation. Uh, four years ago, he did pass away our relationship was not resolved, but I did hear at his funeral that he did make a decision for Christ. He went through a believer's baptism and he died a saved man. And um, I just can't imagine the weight that I would have had to carry knowing that I would have stayed reluctant in that fight. Um, So I hope that you guys just were moved by something that Dave said today. Um, And if you did, if you need prayer for that, please come down front and find our team. On your way out today, remember to add your name to our plus one board and come and see me on the patio. I have cards for our worship night for you to pass out to your friends and your neighbors with all of our kid programming information on that. Guys, um, have a great Sunday, have a great week. We love that you're here and we're glad to get to know you. So go have some donuts and coffee.